Welcome to the Rock Podcast. There's a short kind of odd incident in Elisha's life recorded here in 2 Kings chapter 6 that often gets overlooked for its tremendous spiritual application. I think we will find that once we dig a little deeper, we'll find a rich and encouraging message that points us to the beauty and wonder of redemption accomplished for us by our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's join Pastor Ross now with a message entitled, the floating axe head. All righty, let's get started. We're going to pick up where we left off, 2 Kings, chapter 6. 2 Kings, chapter 6, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the Old Testament on Wednesday nights. And here we are in 2 Kings, chapter 6, in the middle of Elisha's ministry. Great miracles that speak a lot about Jesus Christ because he is a type of Christ, as you recall. So let's ask the Lord for his blessing and we'll dive in. Now, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have guided our footsteps. You know each person who you led here tonight. And Lord, you arranged for the text to be what it is, knowing our needs knowing your word and what you want to say to each heart. So, Lord, give us ears to hear and eyes that can see and a heart that can understand. So we want to be changed. We want to be encouraged. We want to hear from you tonight. In Christ's name, amen. Well, here in 2 Kings chapter 6, sandwiched in between miracles that involve life and death, is a strange little incident of seemingly little significance. A seminary student loses a tool and gets it back in, the, in a most amazing way. Verse 1. The company of the prophets, or the school there, the seminary, um, the company of the prophets said to Elisha, look, the place where we meet with you is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan, where each of us can get a pole, some lumber. Let us build a place there for us to live. And he said, go. Then one of them said, won't you please come with your servants? I will, Elisha replied. And he went with them. They went to the Jordan and began to cut down trees. As one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. Oh, my Lord, he cried out. It was borrowed. The man of God asked, where did it fall? When he showed in the place, Elisha cut a stick and threw it there and made the iron float. Lift it out, he said. Then the man reached out his hand and took it. Let's pause there. Now, First of all, you may be ask, asking, axing yourself <laughs> the question. Oh, come on. Leave me alone. Leaf. Would 
Would you deny me a little pleasure? All right, okay. Let's let's move on now. Okay, chop chop. Let's go. All right, I'm done. I've run out. Really. So you may be asking yourself, I'm sorry, Kim. It's all your fault. What is this incident even doing in the Bible? It's not very significant, and surely it has nothing to do with me. Au contraire, all right? It has everything to do with you and the story of redemption. Now, and that's a good uh, reason why we're going to park right here and we're going to use these few verses as our devotional tonight. Now, it's important, every story in the Bible is important because first of all, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 tells us that all scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for instructing us in our understanding about the, our walk with God. And also, number two, the New Testament tells us that the Old Testament, the historical record, as we've often said, is actually telling the story of salvation. The gospel, the life and the work of Jesus are really encoded with every miracle, with every Bible character, just about on every page of the Hebrew scriptures, you will find the life, the person, and the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we, we've spoken much about this. First Corinthians chapter 10, 1 through 4, talks about even the miracles in Exodus speak of Christian baptism and the Lord's Supper. Uh, for example, the manna that comes down. Jesus calls himself the manna, and that was a picture of him, the bread of heaven, who comes down from heaven to give his life as a ransom for the world. He is the one who said, whoever eats of the bread, this bread will live forever. And also the cup. When that rock that was following them was struck, it, it bled and, and, and provided the cup the cup of, of salvation for them to drink. And so you see Christian baptism and the Lord's Supper in the miracles of the Old Testament. And of course, even the characters, uh, Abraham offering his only son, Isaac. Mount Moriah is the same place where Jesus will die 2,000 years from that moment in history. And so Jesus himself talked about how the Old Testament was really telling the story of redemption. Uh, you know, in John chapter 3, when he talked to Nicodemus, Jesus told him, hey, Nicodemus, remember back in Numbers chapter 21, when uh, the Hebrews were bitten by venomous vipers, they were all in a lot of pain and they were suffering uh, immensely and dying. And the, the Lord spoke to Moses and said, make a bronze snake, put it on a pole, and anyone bitten can look and live. And he told Nicodemus, that's a picture of me and what I'm about to do on the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believed in him, looked to him on the cross. That John 3.16 comes right after Jesus saying, uh, talking about Numbers 21 and the serpent on the pole that anybody looks to who had been bitten by a poisonous viper who's going to die, which all of mankind really had been. And so, you know, there's a good book on this subject called Jesus on Every Page. 
It's written by David Murray, uh, 10 Simple Ways to Seek and Find Christ in the Old Testament. Uh, The Holy Days, the Temple, the Sacrifices, they all speak about Jesus in some way. Uh, So in the back of our minds, we read the Old Testament and this story included, uh, really with an eye toward looking and finding hints and clues about Jesus. And as we understand him and salvation and the gospel better, we really understand more about God's will for our own lives and who we are. Uh, So this incident here uh, goes a lot deeper than the muddy waters of the Jordan. And um, as some kid who should have really tightened uh, the axe head maybe a little bit more securely uh, uh, so that he wouldn't have lost it, uh, it goes way deeper than that. It's a real historic, literal event uh, that's really encoded with the truth of the gospel. Here's what it's about. It's about life's random tragedies that strike out of nowhere. It's about how these interrupt our lives and kill our hopes and dreams. It's about irretrievable losses, a sense of helplessness. It's about a debt that we cannot even hope to repay. It's about a God who came to fix all of that. So that's why we're going to spend some time Uh, here tonight. So let's walk through the uh, incident here. It begins with bright hope. So if you're taking notes, you can write down number one, begins with bright hope. Now the day starts out full of promise for both the seminary and those attending. Now there were a few schools there in Israel. It it was dark times, so it's very encouraging. But because uh, they have a new dean at the seminary, a new professor, and his name is Dr. Elisha. And uh, he's the real deal. So attendance has skyrocketed. Uh, Really, the lecture hall now does not have enough seats in it. And uh, the dormitory does not have enough beds Uh, There's hope, there's excitement, the school is exploding. And of course, it's Elisha. He hears from God, he's the real deal. You sit at this guy's feet, you hear the very voice of God, and you see those miracles. And so no wonder the school is growing and being blessed. But it's in the midst of that blessing uh, that something tragic is going to happen. But it starts out good, and as it did in the beginning. Now God's estimation after he created the world in six literal 24-hour days. <laughs> Amen? Yes. Uh, some of you were at the creation seminar, I see, this weekend. Uh, God looked at it all and he said, this is very good. Now, do you ever wonder why bad things happen to uh, quote-unquote good people? Well, the door of chaos got opened, and it came in to what was very good, to wreak havoc. Man was given a choice, as you all know. And in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 17, the Lord said, the day you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. And they ate, and the door was open. And because of one man's sin, Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, disobedience, one man's disobedience, death came and spread to all men, for all had sinned. And so ever since, tragedies 
can come into all of our lives. They can come suddenly, gradually, uh, or surprise us all like this one in our text. Believers and unbelievers, it doesn't matter if you're studying to be in the ministry or whether you're conspiring to commit murder. You are going to suffer and you are going to die. That's just a part and parcel of what happened in Genesis chapter 3. Now, uh, as with the seminary, uh, even amidst the time of blessing, adversity comes. No church, no ministry, no pastor, no family is immune to tragedy. Here you have a kid who's uh, scraped together a few shekels. He wants to dedicate his life to Christian ministry there in our verses here. But it's only a matter of time before you get a phone call about some tragedy. Or that you are the object of of that phone call. Um, No matter how well things are going, you know, hey, you know, enrollment is up and Elisha's the new professor and uh, everything's going so well. And we're we're in a new building program and then the axe head flies off because we live in a fallen world. And moreover, the wisest king uh, of all wrote about all of our destiny in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, it's not just that the axe head is destined to fly off. It's far worse than that for all of us. The silver cord that represents our life will one day be snapped. The crystal bowl will be shattered. The water jug cracked at the spring and the wheel at the well will be broken. And dust will return to dust, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. Therefore, Solomon wrote, remember him before that inevitable thing happens. In fact, all of creation is subjected to futility. The whole world is is under a curse. Even creation, Romans chapter 8, is described as groaning, as in childbirth, waiting for the day when the sons of God, the daughters of God would be revealed and Christ appears and lifts the curse off of the world and the earth. And so... That's just really the bad news before the good news. Death and adversity will happen to all of us. The axe head, the axe head, the priceless axe head is going to fly off the handle. Many of you have already experienced that. Um, But the hope and deliverance will happen to whosoever will. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. Well, we have a refuge. We have a savior for when the axe head falls off. And Emmanuel, God is with us. I love Psalm 9 and verse 9. Josh, I have that. Jordan, I mean. (laughs) The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Uh, Proverbs 18 and verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. And uh, every time I think about that, I think about that famous picture, that lighthouse. We have that picture for you. 
You see, I love that picture. It's one of my favorite pictures. He's just safe and secure. He's going to go in there, have a, have a chai tea latte, <laughs> and everything will be chill. Amen? All right. Okay, so bright hope, it starts with bright hope, and then it gives way to number two, a surprise tragedy in verse five. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, um, tragedy is kind of a strong word for the description uh, that I see in this text. Uh, maybe to you and maybe to me, listening with our contemporary ears, uh, 2,850 years removed from the situation, uh, but not to the student. It was a big thing. Now, here's, I just want to get into the situation. He's a good-hearted kid, extraordinary. In Israel, everybody's worshiping the Baals. The leadership has apostatized. It's a dark day. And for a young man to say, I'm going to follow the ways of the Lord and go to this seminary run by the prophet Elisha, who all the leaders wanted to kill. And, and they're about to try to kill him in the next text coming up next week. Uh, but what a courageous young man. He senses the call to ministry on his life. Uh, he scrapes together some meager resources, a few shekels, you know, uh, amidst uh, this terribly backslidden nation. I, and he's not going to sit around and watch them do all the hard work. He doesn't own a tool, uh, but he's borrowed an axe to help. Now, let's think about it. He's found his place in the world. I mean, he's got a calling. You know when you're doing what God has called you to do, you just have a sense of being alive. I found it, you know. This is who I am. This is why God knit me together in my mother's womb. Everybody has a gift. When you use those gifts that he's given you, you sense that. I remember that guy who could run really fast. He's the Olympic athlete back uh, in the 20s. I forget his name. Eric. Yeah, right. You're way ahead of me. And uh, he said, you know, God made me chariots of fire. God made me to run fast. And when I run, I feel his good pleasure. This is this kid here. Who knows his mom and dad's situation? He comes up, he looks around him, and he says, I I want Yahweh. I want to be in ministry. I want to hear the word of God. I want to be a part of the answer. And this kid, uh, this is his life. He's left his old life. He has a new life. He's at home with the students. Uh, His heart is on fire for God. He's listening to Elisha in front of his very eyes. He's serving God with all his heart. He doesn't have plan B. This is his life. This is how God led him. God sent him here. God allowed him and and prospered him in a way that he could, as meager resources that he had, to be able to be there and be a part. He doesn't have a a backup plan. And all was hopeful and bright, and he was alive and well and at peace and prospering until one swing of an axe, a freak accident. Why? Wow. Everything was bright and hopeful until the surprise tragedy. Everything was bright and hopeful until the random x-ray. 
until everything was bright and hopeful, until that right turn we took. Everything was bright and hopeful until that one person came into our lives. You can fill in the blank, right? So in ancient Israel, iron tools were precious and rare and extremely expensive. With one swing, he has lost everything. Now, in our world, you could go to the local hardware store, slap down 50 bucks. Well, actually, I went on Amazon, and I found out you could get an axe for $36.97. If you're interested, it's the Fiskars model. It's 7857 and uh, X15. It's 23 and a half inches. It's a chopping axe. And yes, 36 bucks. You can order it on Amazon. You don't even have to go anywhere. What's the big problem with this text? Yeah, here's what one commentator said. Losing a borrowed axe head in the ninth century Israel would be like wrecking somebody's nice new car today and not having any insurance to cover the damages. But now it's not such a silly little story anymore. I'm sure this young man is thinking, I'm going to drop out of school. My ministerial aspirations are over. I'm going to get a job digging ditches or something until I pay for this axe or any damages on top of it. In ancient Israel, we're talking years. Years and years and years to pay for that axe. It's not just the axe head that sank to the bottom of the river that day. His heart, his hopes, his calling, his dream, his faith in God. I'm trying to understand how God. Really? I gonna spend the rest of my life kind of sold in slavery because of one swoop? So life goes on. And here's the sting. The school will go on in its growth without him. The new building program, no problem. (laughs) Elisha will keep on teaching to all his friends. His fellow students will go on to do great things for God without him. While he digs ditches in obscurity, while he keeps scraping together endless amount of pennies, little shekels that will never really make a dent in what he owes. And then comes the salt in the wound. Why? 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 God's enemy spirits start circling overhead like little vultures with these kinds of helpful thoughts. Why did God let that happen to you? He could have stopped it. Couldn't the one who stopped the sun in the sky stop the axe head from flying off a piece of wood? Is this how he treats those who dedicate themselves to his service? Think about any tragedy that comes upon a ministry family. And you don't think Satan says those words. This is how God rewards you for the sacrifice of going into the ministry. This is what this kid is dealing with. Why me? Why now? 
Why did it have to happen now? Why didn't I check this? Whose fault is this? Why did this happen? Well, yeah, it's not such a silly story, right? I mean, first you read this story and you skip right through to the next thing. You don't even stop to think about it. But there's a lot here. This is a story for anyone who with one swing of the clock's pendulum finds their lives turned upside down who feel like God may have abandoned them. Now, there are a lot of helps in the Bible for hurting hearts to help answer why terrible things happen. Uh, I think, and, and I think we all pretty much know them. I mean, you know, James 1 and Romans chapter 5, and we know the development of faith and development of character and the drawing uh, of our hearts to Christ and entering the fellowship of his sufferings and, and knowing that God is at work for all, uh, all good. God is causing all things to work together for good. And we know all of those things. And, but I think the best answer really is John chapter 9, where the disciples see a beggar who's blind and they turn to Jesus and they say, wow, harsh. His parents must have sinned, huh? Or who's to blame, him or the parents? And he goes, neither. This happened to him because God's works must be displayed in him. In other words, God's working through this for his own good purposes. And you know what? Honestly, I don't think we'll ever really know the real mystifying tragedies that happen to people, there's no answer. There's just no answer. God himself knows the whole thing. And one day we have an appointment. It it is appointed unto men once to die and then to stand before God. And when we're standing before God, all these things will be answered for us. And I think half of them we won't have to ask because we'll just know. Because in that day, we will know as we are fully known. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. There'll just be a fullness of perfection that comes over us where we understand. Now, with all of that said, I recommend that you do not go to the seminary student who's sitting on the bank of the Jordan, kind of crying, kind of thinking his whole world just collapsed around him. And we don't go to him with Romans 8.28. We don't go to him and sing a happy song and kind of cheer him up. And most of you are really good at that. We know better than that. It's not the time to try to uh, explain things when people are grieving. It's a time to be practical, to help them. It's, uh, it's just good to be with people who are hurting. You know, I, I, I went through a bone marrow transplant. I was in UCSF for two months, as most of you know, 11 years ago. And our family was hurting, you know. But people just came alongside and asked, what can we do to help or just walk with us and uh, didn't try to have all the answers or cheer us all up, but just kind of try to minister, you know. The, the, the ministry of presence, just to, to walk alongside people. And, and so uh, that's what needs to happen. Trust Jesus. He's here with you. You're not alone. It's going to be okay. That's what we say. 
And by the way, never judge God by the axe handle that flies off, but by the hammer that comes down on the nails that fastened his hands to the cross. Amen? It is our fault. It is the world's fault that the axe handle falls off. The axe head falls off. Why? Because we open the door. It's our fault. See, God gets that blame all the time. But really, that's our responsibility. If you want to judge who God is, you look at God the Son on the cross, suffering for your sins and the sins of the world. The sinless one becoming sin on our behalf that we might become right with God. That's how you know who God is. Not, because, not how messed up the world is. That's our responsibility. We have free will. We are the sinners. He gave the place. He's the landlord. He gave us a really cool place to live. We're the messed up tenants. All right? <laughs> Amen? All right. <laughs> so, really, the good news is about the cross. And really, that's what this passage is really about. Redemption. So, what do we have here? We've got this young man, insurmountable debt, helpless to restore or repay or find that thing in the muddy waters of the Jordan. His hopes and dreams are dashed. Uh, but here's some good news. This is a story about redemption. Uh, the word redeem in Hebrew, ga'al, it's a hard word for Americans to understand what that means. But the Lord is called your redeemer. It's important to understand it. It means to buy back, to claim, to bail out, to bail somebody out of some trouble, or to take full responsibility for. So here's the text. The man of God asked, okay, where did it fall? When he showed him the place, he Curiously, he cuts a stick, throws it in there, and it makes the iron float to the surface. And he says, you lift it out. And he lifts it out. Then the man reached his hand and and took it. So we go from bright hope to surprise tragedy to finally now the beautiful redemption. The axe head miraculously appears. Now we see, now we see that God had a plan, right? God cared about this student. Now, it didn't look like it for a few moments, nor does it ever look like it during the time of loss. But God always has something up his sleeve. Romans 8.28, right? So uh, he would redeem this young man from all his troubles, and now God's work now is displayed. Now, uh, maybe God would say to the student, You know, thank you for letting me take something very valuable away from you temporarily so that people can see what I can actually do. And as a result of that, uh, a lot of people's faith have grown over the centuries who have read this. And so not to uh, mention the young man's faith as well. So, you know, how about Job? Job uses the word redeemer in a very interesting way. Even though Job had lost really more than a pricey axe head, but the heads of his sons and daughters, he lost his possessions, his wealth, his wife. You remember his wife, right? 
Uh, she said, are you still hanging on to your integrity? Why don't you curse God and die already? Well, he lost her, and we would call that a blessed subtraction. <laughs> health, he lost his health with those painful, hideous sores. So an interesting choice of words. Chapter 19, I think I have this for you. Oh, that my words. Here's this guy suffering on the pile, the ash pile here, scraping himself. Oh, that my words were recorded and that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool uh, on lead or engraved in rock forever. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh... I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. There's somebody who's going to buy this whole mess back. All my loss and all my pain and all my suffering. He says, if I know anything, I know that I have a redeemer. Somebody who's going to buy me back. And restore everything. That my heart will find joy and life again. I know that he lives. And it may take past this body. uh, Decaying in the ground. But even after that he says. I'm going to stand with a new body. And I'm going to face a redeemer. Who buys the whole package back. That's the understanding here. In the passage. Of redemption. The miracle of redemption. He's going to be, Job is going to be blessed in the latter half of his life more than at the first. So what about you and me? We have compiled a debt that is far worse than this young seminarian. It was passed down through the ages. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of your sin and mine is death And there's no way you can repay that. Even if you have forever, there's no way. The wages of sin is death. Sinners must die. They must sink down in the muck and the mire. They must go down to the miry clay. They must go down to the pit under condemnation. It's a debt we can't pay by being good. We're helpless to restore. Uh, We're sunk to the bottom. Stuck in that mud. Where the axe head. Psalm 69. Save me, O God. For the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths. This is a text about us. Where the axe head. Where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulfed me. I'm worn out, calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail, looking for God. Now, God brought redemption that day. He caused the axe head to float, right? It dislodged it from the mud, and it rose to the top. It's floating. Now, certainly it's speaking of something more than the seminarian being restored and redeemed so that he can go to Bible college. Uh, It's speaking a lot bigger. The God-man, Jesus Christ, of whom this passage speaks, 
came down from heaven to redeem us. The axe head stuck at the bottom, the crushed dreams, the ruined potential, the helplessness, the hopelessness of being stuck in the miry clay. And interesting to me that he walks, our redeemer of salvation and men's souls, he walks on the water. He floats, right? But he doesn't always because at the end of three and a half years, he has to sink. He has to take on the sin that causes that axe head to go to the bottom. Now, very, very interesting to me, the stick, the piece of wood that gets tossed into the water that brings the redemption and allows that which was so valuable and so priceless but so lost to rise, to have a new nature, to be able to float to the surface and to rise above and to be found. Sound familiar? (laughs) It's the gospel. It's our story. It's your story. It's my story. But there's only one way for that axe head to be redeemed, to float against nature, to rise above when it should be sinking, right? It's the stick, it's the wood, it's the cross, it's the God-man, it's the Redeemer. He has to be in the picture. So he throws that in there, and because the cross and what Jesus Christ did on that cross, it enables all of our hopes, everything that's ever, every tragic thing that's ever happened is redeemable because of what he did. He swallows all of that up and he opens the way for us to rise with him through tragic loss, through insurmountable debt of our own sins, with uh, crushed and shattered dreams and helpless to free ourselves from death and condemnation and sin and the evil one to be raised with Christ, to be raised in hope, to be redeemed from all of our troubles. Psalm 40 I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and he gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. The axe head, the tragic Accident, the loss. That's us. The Redeemer comes down, and upon the cross, the stick of wood that gets thrown in and mentioned there, he changes the nature and allows that which should be sunk to rise to the top and to be restored and redeemed. So, here in 2 Kings chapter 6, it's not really a silly story. <laughs> it's not really a dumb story about an accident that fla- falls off and goes into the water. And so what? And you throw it a piece of wood and bam, it comes up. Yeah, big deal. Let's move on. I don't think so. I'll never read that story uh, the same. In fact, it's become one of my favorite texts. We're just re- reflecting on it the last couple of days. It's not a silly story. It's a story about Good Friday. And Easter Sunday. It's a story of man's tragic fall and crushed dreams and hopelessness 
and God's unstoppable love. It's a story of our redemption, the story of resurrection and new life. It's your story. It's my story. It's whoever, whosoever believes story. Because did you notice what did Elisha tell him? You pick it up. Why doesn't he do it? Because salvation needs to be personally acquired. It has to be a personal experience. You have to trust. You have to receive. You have to repent. It's not just something here. You know, I can have a gift for you, but you're going to have to reach out and take it, open it, embrace it. That's our part. He gives the gift. We receive. Pick it up, he says. God brought it to the surface, but the man or the woman has to pick it up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that here in this obscure little story, this just just pops with life, and there it is, the gospel of our salvation over and over again. Thank you, God, for this great love, your wonderful salvation. Lord, help these truths to encourage our hearts tonight. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.